One Hope Church. All right, good morning. Welcome, bright, sunny morning in Athens, Georgia. And uh, already getting a little warm, but that's how it goes here. Um, We're thankful to be here this morning to worship the Lord together. Um, We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 13, um, verses 1 through 17. And in this passage, Jesus teaches on servant leadership, uh, which is just awesome. Um, So we are thankful uh, for that this morning. Um, This passage is really appropriate for um, our our day and time. Um, you know, we are here on June 14th, 2020. And as much as any point in, in our history, I believe we need this passage. Because here we see Jesus model what it is to lead by his definitions. Um, and he teaches what is expected of all of his followers from that point until he ultimately returns to set up his kingdom. This passage is full of expectation for us. It's to define our the attitudes of our heart, uh, our mindset, our understanding, our theology, our practice when it comes to Jesus' expectation for us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are thankful that it is truth, um, that it is practical, and that it, it can be applied on a regular basis in our lives, even every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus that you didn't leave us vague on what you expected of us and help us to follow you and to serve you um, and to follow you by serving others. And we ask it um, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world, this world, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So now the stage is set. We are entering Passover. And remember, Passover, um, the, the Hebrew people celebrated. And they remembered with solemn remembrance what had happened when they were in Egypt. And how their people had been slaves for 400 years under the Egyptian taskmasters. How they had suffered mightily. And then God raised up Moses and freed them from that oppression. And they, and if you remember, um, the, 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 the ultimate uh, part of the, of the story there was one one direction given by God. So on this particular night, you're going to sacrifice 
a lamb. You know, each household, each 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 place, and if somebody couldn't have one, you know, they'd, they'd enter in into another household, and you're gonna take the blood of that lamb and you're gonna put it above the door and on the doorpost, because the Lord is going to make a dividing line between those with faith and those without. Those who say they're on His side and have allegiance to Him, and those who don't. And he sends the angel of death. But the angel of death passes over, that's what we call Passover, passes over all those who had the blood on the post. Now, it's an interesting thing there. Because those who were saved from that judgment were not all necessarily the people who had lived upstanding lives to that point. But they were the ones who took the opportunity for salvation. You see, sometimes even today, it's the blood of Jesus that saves. When people receive him. And he receives even those who the world looks at and says, well, those are the worst. See, God goes even you know into the prisons, even on death row. And God will save and give mercy to those who believe in Jesus by God's grace through faith. So it's not the quality of the individual that is at question. It's the quality of the blood that covers them. You understand that? It's not the quality of the individual who comes to Jesus. It's the quality of Jesus and His blood that covers that person. There is no person who is outside of of God's ability. Nothing a person has done is going to make it to where the blood of Jesus could not cover them if they actually repented of their sin and begged for mercy and for forgiveness. But Jesus knows it's for this purpose that he's come so there would no longer need to be year by year a lamb at Passover. There would no longer be, need to be the sprinkling of blood because for once and for all, he was going to shed his blood for the human race. Once and for all, his blood would be shed for the human race. He knew it was time. It was coming close. It says the hour had come. That doesn't mean like, you know, this is the specific hour. Everything happens. It means this is the time that things are happening now. Things are set into motion. That he should depart from this world back to the Father. And he says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's wonderful to know that Jesus loves his disciples. It says, And supper being ended, verse 2, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that, 
He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter. And we'll stop there for a second because I want to make sure we have the scene because in verse 2, you know, John is, is uh, it's important for him as he sets the scene to remind his audience or to let his audience know if they don't know the story. That of the disciples, there was one who was going to betray, who wasn't a, a true disciple. He was, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing. We know from the Gospels that, you know, they might have found this evidence out later, but after his death, but Judas, you know, had, had stolen multiple times in, in terms of things that had been given to the poor, and he was the treasurer, and he would put it in his own pocket. And so, you know, what probably started off as, a, as an initial small sin of, well, nobody's really going to notice if I just take a couple of coins, grew and grew until eventually he is susceptible into when he is tempted by the devil to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver he does so and for the rest of the narrative because Jesus is going to talk about this himself in this passage um John wants us to know that the devil's already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. See, there's temptation from the world. There's even temptation from Satan. But the individual is also responsible for what they allow in and for what they entertain in life. The individual is still responsible. And that's true even for a person who doesn't have Jesus yet. He's still responsible. Remember Cain and Abel back in the garden, well, after the garden, and sent it into the world. But, you know, they had brought their, their sacrifices, and, and God, you know, wasn't pleased with Cain because he brought, you know, the fruit of the field instead of the lamb that he was obviously instructed to bring. And God gives him a warning and tells him that, you know, sin is crouching out the, at the door but that he should rule over it. So you see, even a person who does, isn't in full you know, relationship with God, isn't given full allegiance to God yet, is still responsible for all the sin that they participate in in their life. And they have real choices to make along the way. And, and Judas, yes, he is a fulfillment of prophecy. Yes, he is, um, you know... Unfortunately, playing a terrible role in this, but don't think for a second that he didn't have real choices to make along the way because he certainly did. And Jesus, notice verse 3, it says, Knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, was going to God. He's been given, as he says, you know, after his crucifixion and resurrection in Matthew 28, he's been given all authority on heaven and in earth. Jesus is the ultimate. That's how we have to understand this scene. You have to understand it in the context that Jesus is the ultimate king of, of the universe. He's the ultimate king of everything. So when the ultimate king of everything 
rises after supper, laid aside his outer garment, took a towel, girds himself, puts water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. We better pay attention. We better pay attention when the king of the universe washes the feet of his disciples. We better pay attention. Let the reader, let the hearer understand the significance of this as the king of the universe washes the feet of his disciples. Now he comes to Peter. The others apparently haven't said anything yet. They may have thought stuff. They may have thought like, why are you doing this, Jesus? This doesn't feel right because you're you're the one we call master. You're the one we call teacher. You're the one we call Christ. You're the anointed one, the king. That's what we call you. You know, they might have been thinking it, but Peter here, he's always the bold one to say exactly what's on his heart. He is the unfiltered. He is the unfiltered one. Y'all have, you have that, you know, in your life, you got various friends and you got one that's just the, you know, that friend is just the unfiltered friend, you know, just says with, you know, immediately what's on the harder mind with, it's like they're thinking it through after they say it, <laughs> right? Uh, that, that, that saying it out loud kind of helps them think it through, maybe. But they're just the unfiltered. Simon Peter is the unfiltered. Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered them, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Now, that should be enough. To say, you know, because you, you think about even with our with our children, whatever, you know, you just say, hey, the kids are asking you like, why, why, why? And you're like, look, you're not going to understand this now. You're just going to have to trust me now. I'm going to tell you later. And sometimes they're like still asking or objecting. And we understand that because, you know, we're parents, they're kids. But in this scenario, it's Jesus who Peter has witnessed I mean, he, Peter's had a, a pretty wild life, a pretty wild few years here with Jesus. And everything that he's seen and heard taught and all the miracles and Jesus walking on water, even Peter walking on water for a little bit and then starting to fall down. After all of that, and Jesus says, hey, you're going to understand this later. Just, you know, take it now sort of thing. And Peter, what does he say? Verse 8. You shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. If God is not patient, I mean, look at this, look at that, and just tell me God is not patient or Jesus is not patient. I mean, come on. There is some patience here. There is some serious patience. Praise God for that because every last one of us has needed it. Every last one of us has needed the patience of God because, you know, we think, oh, come on, Peter, you're this, you're that. What about you and me? What about our hard-headedness? 
How many times in life have you slammed your head figuratively? Maybe some of you literally, but figuratively you've slammed your head into the wall. Knowing God's telling you something else and you're like, nah, I'm just going to slam my head into the wall again. And expect the outcome to be different. As if that wall is going to move just from you slamming your head into it. Don't think that like Peter is the only stubborn one here. Each of us have to look at our own hearts. Look for the stubbornness there because it's obvious it's easy to point out the stubbornness. In Peter's heart, it's a little tougher to look at our own hearts and go, Lord, where am I stubborn? Where have you told me time and time again? Just trust me, you'll understand later. And I've got, nah, I've got a better plan. Don't act like you haven't done it in life. I know I have. No, Lord, I've got a better plan. Listen to the Lord. You might not understand now. And especially as you're younger. I mean, there's all these things where followers of Jesus in, in this environment today where it's everything is, you know, instant. We want an instant. We want instant change. We want instant results. We want instant everything. And our world is geared toward that. I mean, literally, you can order some crazy thing off the Internet and have it show up at your house like in 24 hours. That, I mean, we are living in unprecedented times in terms of the speed of things. And so people don't want to wait for anything. And people don't want to have patience for anything. And, you know, the word of God, people, well, that's antiquated. Wait, you're going to wait till you're married? That's antiquated. That's crazy talk. In an instant gratification culture. But God knows what's best for us. And sometimes we just have to trust and trust that we'll understand the why later. If there's nothing in our lives where we have to understand the why later, we're, we're probably, but we got to be very careful there that we might be on in, in danger of not living by faith, but only living by what is tangible, that it's already figured out before we move. Well, that's a dangerous place to be when you have to, everything has to be 100% guaranteed before there's any movement on our part. So relationship with God ultimately requires faith. Fellowship also requires faith. Scripture says the just will live by faith. Not that the just will have had faith once when they believed in Jesus and then they'll never be in a situation again where they need to experience faith. That's not what it says. It says the just will live by faith. An ongoing, continuous faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall never wash my, wash my feet. Jesus answered to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And now, Peter's like, wait a second. 
I've, I've done messed up. Um, how about this? Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Uh, you just wash their feet. Now, I need you to wash not just my feet, but my hands. My head. I mean, he, tunes his, he changes his tune pretty quick when he hears Jesus say, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. But then Jesus said to him, verse 10, and this is really key for the understanding of the passage. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Again, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So what is Jesus saying there? Now again, context is important. Even on a day like today, I, I have you know I have on some sneakers and some socks, and you know, my my feet might smell a little bit at the end of the day, but they don't have a bunch of like dirt. And grime on them. But if you wore sandals every day, imagine not, you know, there's not pavement. You have some stone paths and things like that. But, you know, there's there's dust and dirt everywhere. And you're wearing sandals. And you're all day, you know, this is, at, this is after supper. Like, you're all day wearing sandals. Those feet are going to be dirty. But the rest of the body's not. Just walking around. Unless you actually did some other things that caused the rest of your body to get dirty, the rest of you would still be clean. So what Jesus is, is using this is in a, he's using something that they can understand in their everyday life. Because there was a difference between taking, you know, taking a bath took some work. We don't think about that so much today. That the, the amount of effort required to, to like clean your whole body. And so you didn't do that all the time, but you did wash your feet probably every day. I'm, I'm real sure, you know, for, for those who are married, they wash their feet every day. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around those stinky feet or dirty feet. Um, so, you know, it's not like today where we just go and, and, and turn a knob and water comes out or cold water comes out or whatever temperature we want it to be. I mean, again, folks, it's not, I mean, in, in the human history and human experience, it is not normal in human history for you to be able to go in your own home, that it's common in your own home to be able to go and get into a shower and get the exact degree of water temperature that you want. That's, I mean, most human, if you told that to most of the people who have lived on planet Earth throughout history, that that's just normal for everyday common people, they'd be like, what? I mean, that would be hard for them to fathom. It'd be hard for them to fathom. But the spiritual point that Jesus is making here is that when you believe in Jesus... You become you come into relationship with God. You come into relationship with God and you are made spiritually clean. That's your relationship. However, as you go throughout the earth, as you continue you know on this earth and you are in this world, 
your feet are going to get dirty. And if your feet aren't washed, that's going to hurt your fellowship with God. That's going to hurt your fellowship. There's a difference between relationship, which is permanent, and that stays constant. But fellowship with God, our fellowship goes up and down. And it's not because God changes, it's because, you know, we end up in periods of dryness where we are not in fellowship with God like we should be. Or we have been exposed to, to sin and it's, it's contaminated us. And we need to have our feet washed. That's what Jesus said. I mean, the message to believers in, in 1 John 1, 9 is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's about ongoing fellowship with God, understanding that as believers, we still have the capacity to sin and that sin hurts fellowship. If you don't think sin hurts fellowship, remember what Peter said to husbands, that if they didn't treat their wives well, that God would not hear their prayers. It didn't mean that those men weren't saved, that they were no longer in relationship with God. That wasn't what was being said. What was being said is that their fellowship was broken. If they didn't treat their wives well, God wasn't going to listen to them pray. That's still true today, every husband. That's still true today. If you don't treat your wife well, God just doesn't hear your prayers. Sorry. He just not, he's not listening. He's not hearing that until there's confession and a change. He's just not hearing it. Then God takes that seriously. I mean, takes how a husband treats his wife seriously. God says he's not even hearing the prayers of a husband that doesn't treat his wife well. Not hearing the prayers. Now, he knows they're praying. He knows where they're praying. He's not, but he's not... He's not an active, engaged listener like, hey, wanting to do something about that for you. Nah. He's just not. He's, he's, he's just not down with mistreatment of wives. God's just not okay with that. Hey, we didn't need the world to figure that out one day. God already told us. God already told us, and it's the word of God that informs the world how things should be. Not the other way around. And the repercussions of it. But you see, in this world, you can get your feet dirty. You see, in this world, think about in today's context, you can go through experiences. Let's just be real here. You can go through experiences... That if you are Caucasian, you could be looking at somebody else and be prejudiced. You could have experiences where if you're black, you're looking at other people with a negative perspective. That can happen in this world. Well, what do we do about it? Well, we confess our sins. Because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's something else I got to say here too, and that is, you know, if you've dealt with something in your life, you don't have to feel guilty about that again. If you sinned in your past and you've asked God to forgive you, it's done. 
it's done. If you had prejudice in your heart or even racism in your heart and you ask God to forgive you and you haven't gone back to that sin, you don't need to keep confessing it. It's done. It's over. A new has begun. Right? I mean, we don't have to keep asking God to forgive us for the same sins unless we keep committing those sins. And then the question, if we keep committing those sins, is were we serious about confessing those sins in the first place? But you see, in this world, we're going to get dirty. Naturally. Now, what we have to be careful of is that we're not getting dirty intentionally. That we're not like, hey, hey, listen, you know, like Peppa Pig is cute in terms of like, hey, I want to jump in muddy puddles. But when it comes to sin, you know, our world is full of muddy puddles. And there's a difference between like going through life and being exposed to things and 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 getting tripped up and saying, okay, I got to get things right with Jesus. There's a difference between that and going, hey, there's a big old muddy puddle right there. I'm going to go stomp all in it. There's a difference in that. We got to be really careful that we're not doing that one. That we're just like, hey, I know, I know, I know a whole bunch of sin is about to enter in and I'm okay with that. That's not good. We need to avoid that. So verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Notice this, he says, you know, he, he sits down and then he wants to debrief with them about what they had just, just experienced. He wants to make sure they fully get the point. Like it should be obvious, but just in case it's not, she's going to debrief and make sure that they get it. And listen to this, he says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. See, Jesus didn't deny who he was. In order to serve others. He said, this is who I am. This is my correct position. This is my, this is how you should view me. And I did this. I washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, look, I've modeled it for you. I've given it to you in a way that you can understand it. That you should do as I have done to you. And then he says, a servant is not greater than his master. Now again, in Jesus' role, who is Jesus? Jesus is the master and yet he serves so if the master then sends you then what are you supposed to do are you supposed to be like it says you know jesus says other place be like the gentiles and lord it over those those with authority lord it over those who don't have it is that what we're supposed to do no jesus came to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
so we are to have the mindset and the attitude of we are to serve because our king served. Because our master served and we are his servants. And of course, we should be looking to serve all the more. Because we understand we're not Jesus. We're not the saviors. We're the one who needed saving. And if Jesus served us, and if he's the king, and we're, you know, we're not the king as in the ultimate king that he is, then certainly, if he can serve, then certainly we should. That's what Jesus is making sure of very explicitly. Not just implicitly, and not just through his actions, but through his teaching. He says, this is exactly what I'm telling you. Like, there is no ambiguity here, folks. There is no way to walk away from this passage and say, you know, my goal as a follower of Jesus is to be served. Like, there's just no way to come that that conclusion in any sort of rational way. Yet, that can often be a life goal. The life goal can be, and so this is, See, this is where we have to go from conceptually understanding the truth to practically living it out. Because the life goal can be to make enough money or to eventually attain enough money and status to where then you can just hire a bunch of servants to do all the things you don't want to do. Is that life's goal? I think for for a lot of people who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus or yes, I'm a Christian. That's kind of like what is, what is, at least what it seems like life goal number one might be. To obtain enough to have servants. Now, it's just done it, that, that attitude, you know, it, it, it can be just softened a little bit to make it palatable. Right? You can just soften that enough to make it palatable. But is that the life goal, or is the life goal to serve God and to keep serving God? And and through serving God, that means serving other people. Is the life goal to serve other people until death? Whether that's days, months, weeks, years, decades from now. Is that the life goal? To serve God by serving others. Is that life's goal? Colossians 3 says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There's an argument here that says, you know, in the kingdom, when when Jesus returns and you're with him in glory, you're going to also share in that glory. So your eternity has glory. So you don't have to so much worry about glory now. You don't have to really worry about pursuing your personal glory here on this earth because you get to share with the glory of Jesus for all of eternity. So you have a choice. You can strive for a very few finite number of years 
to enjoy your own personal glory or for an infinite eternity, you can share in the glory of Jesus. What do you want? Which one do you pick? And the reality, folks, is you can't have both. You have to choose. Because it's an issue of heart. Now, some of the people are going to hear that message and say, well, does that mean, you know, a follower of Jesus can't be successful in, in business or can't be, you know, in, um, a, you know, a great athlete on a championship team or, you know, the number one tennis player in the world or whatever. Can a follower of Jesus just not do that? That's not what I said. What I'm talking about is, what is your purpose? What glory are you seeking? The glory of God or the glory of self? Because in that, there's the parable also of the talents where we are to strive to maximize everything that we can for God's glory. And so that in whatever avenue God has put us in, we do it so that people can see this is what it looks like when you do it for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you work in administration at the University of Georgia for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you're a police officer for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you're a pharmacist for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you're a sanitation worker for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you're a fast food worker for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you're a swimmer for the glory of God. This is what it looks like when you do anything. It's for the glory of God. Who gets the glory? Who do we want to get the glory? And how do we do that in service to others along the way and not just as an end, a a means to an end for ourselves? Because the Lord commands us to share all the good that we receive in this life with others. The deal here is that the followers of Jesus are to be first to serve and great stewards and live life with open hands. You see, this is how we are supposed to operate with that mentality that Jesus had as he put on his work garment and went to work washing the feet of his disciples. That in life, we are to put on our spiritual work garments in whatever capacity that we serve in and work in in our world and anything that we choose to do in our free time that we seek to maximize it for the glory of God. And if you're doing something that cannot be maximized for the glory of God, then do something else. Maximize everything you have for the glory of God is, is, a, is, a, is a message that's really clear in the scripture. But it's about the attitude of the heart and the mind. And where is the heart? Is it here on the, the, the earthly things or it is on the kingdom of God? Is the mind set on things above or set on things here on the earth? Is the goal just more temporary pleasure for ourselves or is the goal more gospel for the world? That's what the question, those are the questions that we have to answer and have to be real with about ourselves. Because I think if we're each open and honest about ourselves, there's at least times in life where we are heavily tempted and perhaps even entertained and perhaps even pursued to a certain degree. Lord, 
all that's good, but I want mine here and now. And we have to be very careful that we do not sacrifice the small and temporary and miss out on the blessings of the eternal and permanent. So how do we serve this world? Concrete. What would it look like? Think about this. What would it look like? How would our world be different if every follower of Christ kept a mindset of service, kept a mindset of, I want to put my towel on and wash people's feet? What if every follower of Jesus kept a mindset of kingdom first? How would our world be different? Well, I doubt there'd be any places or any peoples that hadn't heard the good news of Jesus yet. And there'd, at the same time, probably be a whole lot less pain and suffering in the world as well. Because the gospel of Jesus changes lives. And when lives get changed, those people make a difference in their communities. Again, time and time again, we have to stay focused, folks. We have to stay focused because the world is always going to try to set your agenda and tell you this is the issue that must have the priority in your life right now. Now, in a couple weeks, in a couple months, in a couple years, don't worry. The, the world will change its mind about what needs to be your most important issue right then. Because it's amazing how on the news, how little I've heard about taking care of the environment over the last month. You know, a couple of months ago, that was what everybody needed to devote their life to. Not destroying the planet. And now, you don't hear anything about it. I mean, hardly a peep. Because the world has, has changed focus. And sometimes it focuses on more important things. And sometimes it focuses on less important things. But understand this. Whatever it focuses on, because it doesn't have the mind of God and the heart of God, it will focus on incorrectly and inappropriately. And it will usually create about as many problems as it solves. Jesus changes hearts and attitudes and minds and we need to have a kingdom mindset but understand what what i'm trying to get at with this because again please don't get the wrong message if you take jesus seriously and you take being a disciple of jesus seriously and you dig into the word and you seek god's wisdom and truth it's going to change everything in your life. If you take the, Gen the book of Genesis, if you take Genesis through Revelation seriously, you're not going to like take a barrel of oil and go pour it in a stream. You're just not going to do it. Like, I don't have to teach, you know, I don't have to like convince you to be some great environmentalist. You're just going to like seek to take care of God's creation because you understand that's God's expectation for you. 
If you're a man and you're in the word, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're in the word of God regularly, I should not have to convince you that you need to respect women. Like that, I mean, that's just kind of ludicrous. Of course you would, because Jesus is in your heart and you've read the word and you understand clearly the expectations that God has for you. The problem, the biggest problem today is that we have so many things that are called church and so even church that that preach the gospel, but there's no expectation. It's like setting the bar so low that we've lost the message. We've made this kind of terrible trade where we think that if we can get the church 10,000 miles wide, it doesn't matter if it's only a quarter of an inch deep. Well, I'm just going to argue that if it's only a quarter of an inch deep, it's not 10,000 miles wide. That's an illusion. It's an optical illusion. It's a spiritual illusion. Don't fall for it. Jesus has expectations for his disciples and it's going to come into every area of life. How you treat the environment, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, how you treat your neighbors, how you treat people of a different ethnicity, how you treat people of a different age. It's going to affect every aspect of your life. And if it doesn't, it's not a problem with the gospel. It's a problem in our hearts and a problem with discipleship. But the expectations of God are clear. And if we start with this basic teaching of Jesus of to serve others, most of our other problems will be solved, folks. I'm not saying that it's going to be perfect. I'm not saying there'll never be any division in the church or or anything like that. But I can tell you this, if everybody's heart is just to serve the other, you're not going to divide over stupid stuff. At least if you divide, you're going to divide over something that matters and not like personalities or personal preferences on the color of paint and, you know, all sorts of sinful human mess. You'd only divide over something that actually really, really, really matters theologically. The gospel of Jesus changes the game. And Jesus sets the examples for us and we need to be faithful to follow it and understand what the expectations of Jesus are. And if we aren't meeting those, then we do need to confess our sins, to have our feet washed by Jesus, get up, put on our towels and go out into the world and serve. And that's going to do a whole lot more good than other options at our disposal. That's going to do a whole lot more good. And so may Jesus give us the strength and help us to have our priorities in the right place. So that we rightly love God and our neighbors. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we're thankful. We look into the word. And in that time, when you were preparing to go to the cross to make the ultimate sacrifice, you taught your disciples and through them, you have taught 
all of your disciples for throughout history of your expectations for us. And so, Lord, help us in our lives to practically be the people who are seeking to wash the feet of others. Help us to be full of love. Help us to love others. To do what is right into your sight. Help us not to be jaded by our dark world. And Lord, when we do get dirt on us, help us to ask you to wash our feet quickly. And Lord, may you receive all the glory and all the honor for every good thing that comes out of our lives. And every good thing that comes out of this service this morning as we go to you now. As we sing and worship you, as we take the bread and cup at our our cars or our homes, Lord, we give you thanks and praise. That Jesus, you paid the sacrifice, the (laughs) ultimate sacrifice for us. And Lord, may even there be people who who even see this today online and say, Lord, I want to be your disciple. Save me, forgive me. And they will begin to walk with you. We ask it in your name, Jesus.